Hello and welcome to the Wellspring Tabernacle Podcast. Wellspring Tabernacle is a Bible-based Trinitarian Christian church in Marble, North Carolina. We seek to impact our community through preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and may God bless. This morning to our service, we're glad you're here, glad to see some faces we hadn't seen in a while. In some cases, Colton, I'm going to pick on you, we hadn't seen you in a very long time, (laughs) but uh, we're glad you're here this morning. Um, Just to get y'all kind of caught up, um, we started the last Sunday in December, uh, the first of New Year's Eve. Um, I I thought it was going to be a one and done thing, but it's actually turned into a series. So for the past six weeks, I've been preaching on this idea of steps of revival. Um, And we've, we've gone through, you know, asking the question of, do you want revival? And, um, the first, one of the steps to revival is what's called what's known as reformation and you know personal holiness and household dedication and last week we talked about the hunger that comes with seeking revival and uh, but before I get into this morning I want to share kind of a realization that I had this past week um um, because for the last five weeks, I thought that this series was about revival, and in a sense that it, and in a sense it is. However, I want to be sure all of you understand why we think of it as revival. A um, hundred years ago, what I've been preaching on for over a month would have not been called revival. It would have been called something else. And you know, big surprise, it would have been called Christianity. We the reason we call it revival is because we are so estranged. We are so far removed from what the Bible calls Christianity that anything beyond our mundane church attendance only religion is viewed as supernatural. And a hundred years ago, or even fifty years ago, that wasn't the way it was. When people got born again, they truly got what they said they got. The sad part about it is, and I agree with a statistic that came out 40 years ago when Billy Graham was in his heyday, he said that 95% of church-going, professing Christians are lost and on their way to hell, and I believe that. And we'll get into why just right here in a few minutes. Um, but in this morning's message, I hope that the reason we th- we view these types of things as supernatural is made more evident. And I don't want to be presumptuous or make an assumption, but everyone I hear thinks, and I'm, I'm pretty well sure they know, that prayer is a very, very powerful tool for the Christian. Jesus said the church was to be a house of prayer, and we're supposed to be a people of prayer. Prayer is the means by which we approach the throne and make our petitions known to God. And there are several sacred callings within Christianity. Now y'all listen to this. Some believe the call to preach the gospel is the greatest. But I tell you this morning, the call to be steadfast in prayer is greater even than that. You show me a Christian who not only knows to pray, but who also knows how to pray and actively prays. And I'll show you someone who embodies the command of Philippians 4, 6, which says that we're to worry for nothing or to be anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication with gratitude to make our requests known to God. 
E.M. Bounds was who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest minds to ever... He's the greatest mind on, that ever wrote on prayer. Right, there are some people that God just supernaturally gifts with a, with a superior understanding of certain things. And E.M. Bounds, for him, that was prayer. All right, and this is what he had to say. And I, I, if you don't have his books, I, I would suggest everybody. If you claim to be, to be saved and be born again, you need to go... You need to buy everything E.M. Bounds ever wrote on the subject of prayer. Read it and apply it. Because I'm telling you, like this paragraph I'm fixing to read, it will cut you to the quick, all right? But he said this. He said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better machinery, not new organizations or more and new methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods but through men. He does not come on machinery but on men. He does not anoint plans but men. Men of prayer. And I am convinced this morning that the greatest need in the American church today is prayer. If we spent half the time we do watching television or on social media in prayer, we wouldn't recognize ourselves or our churches. The reason we see anything outside of the mundane church as reviving is for two reasons. All right, number one, and I'm going to hit on this hard next week, all right, is that pastors don't preach anymore. The gospel has been forgotten. We've gone into a seeker-sensitive nonsense that has never saved and never will save anyone, but the church doesn't pray anymore. If you can't say amen, just say ouch, because what I'm telling you this morning is the truth. If we, First of all, if we had men in pulpits who were genuinely called by God to preach the gospel and churches that would pray and intercede, we would not recognize the church we attend or the world that we live in. Now, oftentimes we talk about the saints of yesteryear and think fondly of how God met with them. And I'll be the first to admit that there are several differences between us and them. There are several differences between the time they lived in and the time that we live in. But the greatest of these differences is how much time they spent in prayer. You all know the song, It'll Be Worth It After All. The very first verse of that song says, we need our, we need our spirit-filled singers, and I think it's... No, we need spirit-filled preachers. And then something in that line, y'all forgive me, something in that line about seekers. It says we need some old-fashioned seekers who will pray all night long, all right? There used to be, in, in the old church, there used to be people genuinely believed that there were individuals that were called to the ministry of prayer. Not everybody in church is called to preach. Not everybody in church is called to teach. But we're all called to serve. And one of the greatest ways that we can serve from the pastor down is through prayer. But they believed that they were called to prayer and they were called seekers. I can remember going to revivals, especially in the Church of God as a kid. I can remember going to church at the Church of God and before the service started, the pastor would get up and say, we want all our seekers to begin to intercede right now. And they'd be a host of people, and the majority of them was women, that would go up to the altar and they'd get on either side of the altar and they'd begin to call on God. And before they got done, the power of God come in that place because they were interceding. They were bombarded 
guarding the courts of heaven with, with prayers and petitions for God to meet with them. And we don't do that anymore. All right, The church has spun her wheels for the last four generations trying to build her numbers through programs, through musical productions and larger buildings and dimming the lights and getting rid of, the, getting rid of hymnals and putting up screens. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But today we're seeing the results of this seeker-sensitive movement and that there is a mass exodus from the church. These seeker-sensitive ploys are, are put in, that they put in place are falling apart and church leaders are floundering trying to figure out what to do to stop the bursting of the proverbial dam. Seminaries and Bible college hasn't prepared them and can't prepare them for what we see today. And the solution is twofold. And the first step is prayer. Now in the information, and this is just the introduction, y'all hold on, all right? But in the information age, this solution seems illogical. It seems unnecessary to pray when I can take my phone, who we have more computing power in our phones than they did to use a man to put a man on the moon in 1969. We have, we are in the information age, all right? We have the knowledge of the world at our fingertips. Prayer seems unimportant in a day when Google can answer our questions, but it's that way of thinking that makes it all the more necessary. We have to rediscover the fact that not only do we not know everything, but that we can't know everything, especially when it comes to God and the church. If a billionaire gave you unlimited access to all of their resources at any time, unlimited access, you can do anything you want with their resources, would you use it? Of course you would. If you don't, you're telling a lie. All right? Yes, we all would. What Christians have is much greater than that. We have unlimited access through prayer to the throne room of heaven. And what's more, we have the ear of the Creator of all things. And the way we take advantage of this is through prayer. Prayer is the means by which we make our needs and the desire of our heart known to God. And everyone is guilty of being selfish in their prayers. We approach God as if He owes us something or as if we can speak things into existence. We pray as if we can make demands of a holy God for our service to Him. And then we sit back and wonder at why our prayers are answered with no. When we approach God, we're to approach Him reverently and honorably. And if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. All right, it's in this chapter that Jesus gives instruction on not only how to pray, but when to pray, how not to pray, and then gives us a model of prayer to follow, alright? The Bible says this, starting in verse 5 of Matthew 6. It says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask of Him. After this manner therefore pray ye. Everybody in this room should be able to quote from verses 
9 down to 13. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day, for the many blessings of life. God, we praise you this morning. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. God, you're holy and hallowed is your name this morning. And God, I pray for just a little while that you'd anoint me afresh. God, that you'd hide me behind the cross, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd bind the power of hell this morning. God, the Lord rebuke you this morning, devil. And God, I pray that you would move in a mighty, powerful way. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. All right, but in verse 5, Jesus begins his instruction with how not to pray. He says, don't be a hypocrite when we pray. All right, now we hear the word hypocrite all the time, but I wonder if we all know what that word actually means. All right, church folk especially have a tendency of throwing words at people without knowing the meaning of the word they use. Does that sound about right? All right, hypocrite is one of those words. A hypocrite is a person who claims to have moral standard or beliefs, but their behavior does not conform with their beliefs. A good description of a hypocrite is exactly what Jesus describes in our text. Someone who does things to be seen by people all while not doing those things in private. And our churches this morning are filled with hypocrites the world over. People who claim to love, honor, and follow Christ when they're sitting in church and then live the exact opposite of what they claim. Jesus gives a very direct and foreboding warning to these types of people when he says they have their reward. Alright, well then he begins to give us instruction on how to pray. He says when you pray, go into your closet, close the door, and pray in secret. Now this is not a condemnation of praying publicly, but an admonition, an urging, an urging to be sincere. Be just as prayerful in private as you are in public. Or in other words, be just as heavenly minded at home as you are in church. Why? Because God sees in secret the things that you can hide from me and from your mama and your daddy or your grandpa or your grandpa. The things that you can hide from your wife or your husband, God sees it all. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at one time. He never slumbers or sleeps just as Elijah told the prophets of Baal or Elisha told the prophets of Baal when they were calling on Baal to come and to, and to burn up the sacrifice on the altar. He said, well, maybe he's on a journey somewhere. Our God has never gone on a journey. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way. That he'd be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Alright? And he sees all the things that no one else does and he knows the intent of your heart this morning. If you're sincere and private, he will reward you in the open. Now in verses 7 and 8, Jesus tells them not to use vain repetitions. In other words, don't just say the same thing over and over and over again with no meaning behind it. In his day, both Jew and Gentile had the habit of repeating the same thing over and over and over while praying. All right, Gentiles were especially bad for this. The prophets of Baal in the Old Testament had a habit of praying from morning until the middle of the day. 
and it was vain repetitions all it was all right now this might upset some people but i'm gonna say it anyway because it's about to it's high time that the charismatic pentecostal church grabbed a hold of this okay i want to interject something about us in particular a lot of the so-called praying in tongues we hear today in his church is nothing but vain repetition if god has given you a spiritual language which is what the biblical word tongues means it's a language it's not just a bunch of single syllables shining none of sounds babies can make repeated over and over again and before somebody comes at me sideways hear me please I believe in praying in the spirit I do it and God has moved mightily in my life as a result but a lot of this nonsense we hear coming from people today isn't the spirit it's vain repetition and it is a heathen practice all right now that brings up another word that I've both used and been the object of heathen what is a heathen we use it to describe an unruly child I use it on mine at least three times a day as a matter of fact all right but the but the biblical meaning of the word heathen is alien to the worship of the true god pagan if, if we're praying in vain repetition we're not praying to the triune god of the bible all right it is a heathen practice and it's high time that it was called out especially by those of us who are in leadership in the charismatic space when it comes to the false tongues that we hear that's why in verse 8 Jesus says to not be like the heathen because your father in heaven knows what you're going to pray before you ask there's no need to say it over and over he already knows he's an all knowing God he's the omnipresent omniscient sovereign lord of heaven and he is our father how many parents in here have ever had a kid come up to them and ask them over and 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 over? You get the drift, okay? When okay, And you tell them, finally, out of aggravation, you say, I heard you the first time. I'll get to it when I can. All right. How, how, do we not think that God sometimes reacts the same way? Okay? He's like, I heard you the first time. I'm on it. You've just got to be patient. But this brings us to the remainder of our text, all right? What's called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, now, you remember what I said at the beginning about our prayers are often self centered rather than God honoring. I want you to look at this model that Jesus gives us. He begins by honoring God. Firstly, He calls Him as we should, our Father. He then says, Hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means holy or consecrated. And notice that it's capitalized. Hallowed is one of God's names. Holy is not just something that God does, but it's who God is. And the next sentence could only apply to a holy God. Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, in earth now that word's important in earth as it is in heaven only the creator of heaven and earth Jehovah God Yahweh has an eternal kingdom and it is only his will that will be done there is nothing and I mean nothing on this earth that happens outside of the realm of God's will alright good bad and ugly alright now the will of God is a sermon in its own right and I won't go into any great detail now but we can rest easy at night knowing that nothing happens outside of God's God's will. He is in control and nothing is beyond him. All right, now look at this model that Jesus gives. He starts praying by honoring and asking for God's will to come about. He honors God and then he and he says, God, not my will. He said, I want your will to come. Uh, but he doesn't immediately he doesn't immediately jump into demands and petitions, but worship. 
And this brings us to this next line, and it's something I've been greatly encouraged by. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth. All right, now the Greek word translated as in can also be translated as on, and in my opinion, both words should be there. All right, your kingdom, it should, it should read like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done both in and on the earth as it is in heaven. Why both of them? I'm glad you asked. All right, for God's will to be done on earth means the church is doing its job in advancing the kingdom. God doesn't need our help to further his kingdom, but it pleases him to use mankind to advance it. For God's will to be done in earth means the Holy Ghost is doing his job in the earthen vessel that we call a body. May the kingdom of God come not only to the physical earth, but may it come into all of us who know Jesus as Savior just as it is in heaven. God, your kingdom come, your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Come into this earthen vessel, this jar of clay. Uh, the Bible talks about treasures being in earthen vessels. Friend, we're the earthen vessel that the treasure is hidden in. The Bible says when God created man, it said didn't God form man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and man became a living soul. I want to understand so I want you to understand something this morning. When you repented and believed on Jesus, when you came to Christ by faith, God, the Bible says you have he quickened or brought to life. Alright? He breathed the breath of life afresh into your nostrils spiritually and you became alive in Christ Jesus. And when that happened, the Bible says that the old man died. It said that all old things passed away and everything becomes new. You, you cease to be a wretched sinner and you have become an ambassador for the kingdom of God. But it's only after Jesus has worshipped and honored God and asked for His kingdom and will to come in and on the earth that He makes a personal request. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He asks for what we need for life that day and also for debt or sin to be forgiven as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Alright, now this is a hard pill to swallow, but it's the truth. If you don't forgive somebody who's wronged you, God will won't forgive you. The Bible says if we cannot forgive men their trespasses, how then shall your heavenly Father forgive you of yours? If you don't forgive those who have wronged you, God won't forgive you. Period. Bottom line. Alright? We have been forgiven by God for the great sin that we committed against Him. And since we've been forgiven, we should forgive others as well. Alright? Now I know that's easier said than done. And before somebody says, I'm only human, let me tell you something. If you're saved in here, you're more than just human. All right, you have been given the divine ability. You have—that's why God in Christ has given us the ability to be able to give forgiveness to other people. And now this this might blow some aliens' minds, okay? But did you know that there's sins that you can forgive people of, and God will forgive it. The Bible talks about it. I know that's something we don't hear a whole lot of. But the Bible talks about it, okay? And then Jesus, He goes on to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, now I know there's a whole lot been said recently in our, in our space about deliverance, okay? And the word deliverance in our English Bible comes from two different Greek terms, alright? One means 
to deliver like the mail, you know, to hand over to someone, and the other means to rescue. And in this instance, when Jesus says, and deliver us from evil, it means to rescue. And I can only echo the words of Paul in Colossians 1 when it comes to this subject. If you are in Christ this morning, you have been rescued from evil and all of its power in your life. All right. Colossians 1.13 says that He, God, delivered us from the powers of darkness and translated or transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. He has delivered us from evil and He will continue to deliver us from evil as we live. And now that's not to say that we're not going to have trouble. That's not to say that we're not going to have trials. Matter of fact, Peter said that we're not to think it strange when the, tri when the tri trial by fire... I kept trying to combine trial and fire. I was saying trier. When the tri but when the trial by fire comes, the Bible says that we are to rejoice in so much as you are partaker in Christ's sufferings, you'll also partake in His glory. Amen. But God has delivered us from evil and He continues to deliver us from evil. And this brings us to the conclusion of our text where Jesus goes back into worship. He says, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, The kingdom is God's, not ours. The glory is God's, not ours. The power is God's, not ours. When we approach God with this, with this mindset that glory and power and honor belong to Him, we truly enter into what I think of as battle prayer, alright? And this is, and here's the thing, alright? Prayer is a weapon. Okay, prayer is a, that is a weapon is, is as much as it is anything else. It's prayer that's not only heard, but it's prayer that's received. Prayer that is a holy battle cry. Prayer through which God raises up warriors who will fight from the prayer closet on their knees. If we need need anything in the world today. We need men who will not rail their fist at the heavens but who will be on bended knee cry out and say, God be merciful to me a sinner. But it's prayer that fights the good fight of faith. Prayer that, that wrestles not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's prayer that exposes the enemy and honors God. Prayer that plucks up mountains and casts them into the sea. Prayer that is small like a mustard seed, but grows into a towering tree. Prayer that emboldens. Prayer that encourages. Prayer that brings peace and understanding. Prayer that, that sanctifies, sets apart, and makes holy. Prayer that is boldness personified into the throne room of God. It is prayer that transforms a person from a pew warmer into a kingdom minded ambassador for Christ. For thine, O oh God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. There's nothing in this world that you and I can lay claim to this morning except knowing God in and through the blood of Jesus. Amen. But it is indeed true that prayer does change things. How does it change things? Because of the power in you and in me. The power belongs to God, but He shares it with us. How do I know that? 
Because of what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. When God saved you, he put a deposit of that same power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of you. That same power that turned the world upside down down with the gospel resides in each and every one of us and it's able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think there never has been nor has nor will there ever be a Christian person that is not birthed sustained and promoted and lives to see lives transformed by the gospel without prayer and the church dropped the ball What happened to the prayer meeting? When the world wars were going on, churches would come together in the middle of the week to pray for the war effort because they understood that only God could intervene in a war where nations collided. And so they bombarded the throne of heaven with prayers for for war to end and for peace to return to the land. God told the Jewish people in in the books of Chronicles, He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear their prayer from heaven. See, we've got it backward. We think that just by but just by getting getting on Sunday morning or, or over our food, that if we whisper up a little prayer that we've humbled ourselves. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me give you an example of what humbling yourself is, all right? The Bible, speaking of Jesus, says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on the cross now what does it mean that he humbled himself it means that his divine attributes he was no longer omniscient he was no longer omnipresent alright he he, he wasn't all knowing anymore because he was a baby he wasn't omnipresent anymore because he humbled himself and took on the likeness of men alright he laid us now just imagine this for a minute he was worshipped for eons of countless ages by angels and the saints of old alright he he sat in a throne room that had angels that because they couldn't behold his glory with their face had six different wings y'all the bible speaks of speaks of them flying around with two wings that covered their face and two that covered their body and it says with twain they did fly and their only job is to fly around the throne of God saying holy 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 Lord God Almighty holy 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 Lord God Almighty 
body. All right, you'd think that would get a little bit old after a few eons of saying the same words all over again. But here's the thing, and here's what I want you to understand this morning. All right, is that when you come in contact with a holy God and you see God for who He truly is, and you see Christ for He for He who He truly is, all right, you'll start saying holy, holy, holy. Well, but then you walk around and you get to the backside of Him. But the time you make it around to the front, He's done something that is so wonderful and so amazing that the only words that you can think of to describe it are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Friend, it is time that the church of the living God recognize God for who He is and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares on Him for He careth for you. I see Christians walking around with burdened down. They look like they're carrying 10,000 pounds on their shoulders. They're weak and they can't hardly make it, friend. If we would humble ourselves under His hand and we would cast those cares on Him in and through prayer, why don't we know what to do? Why is it so hard to do it? Because humbling oneself means that we can make no claim of accolade. We can't claim, oh, I did that if we humble ourselves. We can't claim that we had anything to do with what happened if we don't humble ourselves. But when you humble yourself, and you approach God through prayer in reverence and in honor and in glory, when you approach Him in that manner, asking for His will to be done and His kingdom to come in earth as it is in heaven, that is when you'll see your petition made known to God. And I'll leave you with this. I pray that what we've seen in the text this morning drives us into a very, very real, both secret and open prayer life. And I'll leave you with the words of James who said, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. May our prayers this morning be effectual in worship fervent in dedication, and by the power of God, may they avail much. Lord Jesus, we thank You for this day, God. We thank You for the opportunity to stand and to proclaim Your Word. God, I pray this morning that something was said, God, that would lodge itself into the heart. And Lord, that we would become people of not just prayer, but God, effectual, fervent prayer. And that, Lord, through Your power, it would avail much. Lord, we thank You for what You've done here this morning. We thank You for gathering us here, Lord, and keeping us safe. And God, I pray that our prayers would be just as sincere and secret as they are open. God, I pray that we would be just as Christ-focused in secret as we are in the open. Lord, help us, God. Lead us and guide us and sustain us. Lord, You said in Your Word that He that begun a good work in You shall perform it. And God, we look to You to perform the work. 
God, to help us in being good soldiers. You said to endure hardness as a good soldier for Christ. God, I pray that we would do that. And Lord, we thank you for it. And we give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wellspring Tabernacle Podcast. If you feel led to do so, please give us a review on the platform of your choice. And if you would like to reach out to us further, please email us at wellspringtabernaclenc at gmail.com. Until next week, may God bless you.